Hey, good day, everyone. First off, come on, we, we, it deserves a better response than what you gave. We had 28 people baptized. They went from death unto life last week. Come on, all locations, let's give it up. Yeah. Yes, amazing. Now, next week we're starting a new series called Stories. Stories basically is this. We take some very uh, relevant, some true stories, uh, powerful stories uh, that real people have went through, and we share those in a very unique form. And it's a great way to present the gospel of Jesus Christ, invite your friends, invite your family to come experience uh, what God can do through their life over the next few weeks. So we're going to start that next week, and so it's going to go for the next four weeks. Now, this series that we're doing right now, King, uh, is part number one and also has a part number two. And so this is the first time I've done this, uh, but I'm doing part number one right now, which I'm going to conclude today. And part number one has been King Saul, right? We're going to come back after the story series, and in the month of August, I'm going to continue King, but King David as part two. Now, uh, with that said, to give you a little back feel on what happens here on this story of King Saul, King David, basically they're the first two kings of the nation of Israel. Now, with that said, God never wanted the children of Israel to have a king, but the children of Israel demanded of God that they be like the other nations around them. How many of you know when you start wanting to be like everybody else around you, it's going to lead to some bad choices, right? So they get the king, but it really wasn't what God intended. So King Saul's the first one, and then King David. Now, King Saul started good, but ended up going bad. And basically, his heart was kind of representative of the heart of man. But King David represents a heart after God. And so we're going to be breaking those down. So today, would you turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter number 13 as we continue the series? And would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? I'm going to start with verse number 6. It says, the men of Israel saw what a tight spot they were in. And because they were hard-pressed by the enemy, they tried to hide in caves, thickets, rocks, holes, and cisterns. Some of them crossed the Jordan River and escaped into the land of Gad and Gilead. Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal, and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel, as Samuel had instructed him earlier. But Samuel didn't, still didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away. So he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Look at the person next to you and say, that's not good. Just as Saul was finishing the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet and welcome him. But Samuel said, what is this you have done? Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me, and you didn't arrive when you said you would. And the Philistines are at Michmash, ready for battle. So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't even asked of the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. 
You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now the kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord had already appointed him to be the leader of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. How many are ready for the preaching of God's word today? How many are ready to take notes? Okay, because we, we know here that, you know, God says in his word some, somewhere, some, some place in there, it says that those who take notes are the first ones to enter into heaven, right? Okay. Father, we thank you for the word of God. I pray, Lord, that your word will speak. May our ears be open to hear. May we be responsive. May we be doers of the word, not listeners only. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Give somebody a high five before you're seated. So last week I laid out the incredible awesomeness of the human heart. I'm talking about what beating in your chest. Not a spiritual metaphor. I'm talking about your physical heart is absolutely phenomenal. The number of beats per day, the number of quarts of, of, uh, and gallons of, and literally millions of gallons that it pumps of blood throughout your system. The miles of capillaries and blood system, which goes 60,000 miles. Think about that. 60,000, that's twice around the circumference of the earth. Your blood pumps in one single day 12,000 miles. That's a trip from L.A. to New York four times. I mean, those are astounding figures. I mean, one pump of your heart beat at a resting state can throw blood 30 feet. The, the, the power of your heart when you are sleeping is stronger. It's more powerful than your quad muscle, which is one of your strongest muscles, at a full sprint. Twice as powerful. Those numbers blow me away. But also we know that the human heart can go bad. Heart attacks happen. People have to have open heart surgery. I looked up some reasons on health.com why it is that America's having more and more heart disease. And here's some things that they pointed out of why America's having more heart issues and a very physical, tangible heart issues is, is one, watching TV. In other words, just being sedentary, sitting there watching TV, not active, not doing things, is creating and leading to more heart issues. Uh, leaving stress unchecked is obvious reasons can lead to heart issues. Uh, this one kind of caught me by surprise. I really thought about it. Ignoring the snoring. That can be signs of things that need to be treated. Uh, this one really blew me away. Not flossing. Which actually they're showing more and more of not taking care of your teeth and dealing with your teeth issues actually creates bacterial issues that actually can kind of lead into your heart and create problems. Which was interesting to me. Um, withdrawing from the world, loneliness, and, and just choosing not to be active with other people in community, uh, drinking too much alcohol, uh, smoking or living with people who do smoke. Obviously, some of these we know, overeating, uh, avoiding healthy foods, and ignoring the physical symptoms that may be showing themselves to you. But we also know that the spiritual heart 
can go bad too. Jeremiah 17 and verse number 9 says these words. It says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? So last week we talked about how Saul was not always bad. How actually the first king of Israel was picked because he was a good man. Not just because he was head and shoulders above everybody else and he was handsome. And, no, he had some very good traits. and He started off good, but he didn't finish well. And we talked about finishing well. And we talked about some of those things he started off good with. What did he start off good? He was small in his own eyes when he started, but later on he lifted himself up. Be small in your own eyes. We talked about how he was dependent upon the Holy Spirit early on. But later on, he became dependent upon his army, he became dependent upon his intellect, upon his good looks, upon his stature, upon all those other things. And he began to slip through his fingers, his power and his mind, because he was dependent on himself, not upon the Spirit of God. We found out that when he started at the beginning, he, was, he surrounded himself, I love this passage, with men whose hearts had been touched by God. And how that at some point he began to resist and push away from them and he was no longer real with them in the context of what was going on inside of him. And it began to lead that he began to pull away. And we gotta surround ourselves with men, with women whose hearts have been touched by God. So what made his heart go bad? And today I wanna dive into four things that made his heart go bad. Okay, and those four things we're going to dive into today. So first off is this, in your notes, write this down, is that the very first thing that caused his heart to go bad is that he wanted to please people. What others thought about him was very important to him. In fact, I know of people that will stop coming to church after a divorce because they feel like coming alone. What are people thinking about them? I'm like, hello. Who are we out to please? We please in people, we please in God. The disease to please is a very real thing that all of us struggle to some degree with. And Saul was more concerned about his public image than private integrity. And when you're concerned more with public image, it becomes religion. And religion becomes more important than a relationship with Jesus Christ. In 1 Samuel 15 and verse number 30, you find that Saul has lost the kingdom. Now, he's still sitting in a position, but the power has slipped through his fingers. The anointing has gone, the spirit of God has lifted, and an evil spirit has come upon him that's tormenting him. (laughs) Because when you do it on your own, you're going to be tormented. And so the scripture says that still he wants other people to think good of him. He doesn't want anybody to know really what he has lost. Matter of fact, he talks to Samuel about this. Listen to what it says. He says to Samuel, Saul pleaded against, again, he said, I know I have sinned, but please at least honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel by coming back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. You know what he's saying? He said, I know I've messed up. I know the kingdom's gone. I know God deserves But would you come out one more time and just make me look good in front of the people? It was all about his image. You see, the disease to please is rooted in the fear of self, of rejection. 
is that there's an idea that I'm going to reject it, that they're going to reject me, that they're not going to accept me like I am. You know, it's an identity issue because we have forgotten who our Heavenly Father is and who is living inside of us, right? I, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday, and um, he, he, he works on me, he's my physical therapist, and he was telling me the story about how that um, several years ago his friend, um, who I'll give the name in a little bit, moves back to Oklahoma and when he moves back to Oklahoma, his kid goes to the playground the next day on the school. He's just like raw. He's brand new. No one knows him. And here he is as a middle schooler walking in and having to deal with, you know, new friends, not knowing anybody. And so he sees a guy's playing basketball and so he, or starting to play basketball. So he goes over to get into the basketball game, mix with them. And, of course, he's, they line them up. You know, if you remember this, you line them up and you make the picks. So you have two captains. Usually it's kind of the most popular ones there, and they are the best players, and they make the picks. I pick him, I pick him, I pick him. And so they did all the picks. Guess what? He was the last one picked. He kind of felt that rejection, okay? But then the game starts, and he showed them a thing or two. You see, what the, kid, what the other kids didn't know is that this kid's name's Jackson Holiday, and that his daddy is Matt Holiday. And if you don't know who Matt Holliday is, he graduated from Stillwater, Oklahoma in 1998, and he was the number one re football recruit in the nation. At 6'5", 235 pounds, he was the number one recruit in the nation. He was also a phenomenal basketball player. He was also a phenomenal baseball player. He ended up a few months being later drafted, and then he signed a multi-million dollar contract to play Major League Baseball, and he played and was a seven- or eight-time all-star, phenomenal athlete. Here's what those other kids did not know who his daddy was. But after watching him play, the next day he walks on the playground. They lined everybody up. Guess who the first one picked was? Jackson Holiday. I'm telling you, sometimes you may feel rejected by men. You may be rejected by jobs where you have lost a job. You may be struggling financially. You may be going through issues, but never forget who your heavenly father is. Because when your identity is rooted in him, you do not have to please other people. You know the audience of one that you're out to please. Mm. Faith in your Lord and Savior. Chase after his presence, not after people's approval in life. That's the key. Number two is this. He was impatient with God's timing. The second thing about Saul is that he was impatient with God's timing. And that always leads to heart problems, spiritually speaking. This past week, uh, I had a setback in regards to my therapy. I've really been making up ground quickly. Matter of fact, everybody's like, man, you're way, way ahead of the ground, way ahead of what everybody else is doing. I'm like, like I'm moving quickly. And, and, and so but I hit a roadblock this week. Had inflammation that was extra, the pain was extra, and I actually lost ground in my ROM, which is my range of motion. I lost five degrees. It was very disheartening for me because I kind of feel like I should be improving every single time. How many, how many know what I'm talking about? And matter of fact, everybody tried to encourage me. The PTs tried to encourage me like, hey, it's okay. That's what happens. I mean, sometimes, in fact, you've done really well and that it's going to happen. It's probably going to happen again. You'll have days where you kind of have to take a step back and you have to relax a little bit and pace yourself. But I don't like that because I'm impatient. And you know what happens? Even on those little simple things, even though other people will encourage me, the devil begins to whisper in my ear and say, you're not going to get to the point where you want have you ever had that happen? Isn't it amazing how that brain works? 
And it is amazing how the lie, the father of lies, Satan himself, will come and speak into you stuff that is not true to try to discourage you and get you off the target. You see, patience, impatience is a form of disbelief. I want to write that down. Impatience is greatly tested under pressure. And when you are impatient, you will do one of two things. Either you will give up or you will go at it on your own. And for Saul, you know what he did? He didn't give up when he was impatient, but he went out on his own. He said, I'm going to offer these sacrifices and bring them here to me. I'm going to do this. That was forbidden of God. It was not his place. It was not his position to offer the sacrifice. He was to wait for the man of God, the priest, to come, Samuel, and offer. But he got impatient and he wanted answers. And in that moment, he decided to step out of what he should be doing and say, I'm going to do it myself. That, 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 that's not what God intended. I, I was thinking back uh, whenever I was young and on the farm and I started very early, very early working, driving vehicles and stuff. I was driving tractors. I'm talking about large tractors at 10, 11 years of age, unsupervised, in a field, by myself. Right, I know today somebody would report that to DHS, but I'm telling you, my dad would have handled DHS. <laughs> he would have pulled his belt out and said, uh-uh, no. <laughs> here, here I am. With, I remember I started off with a buggy during harvest season. I would be in this tractor with this buggy, which was a large container that would catch wheat. And Dad would be out in the field, and he would be driving the combine. And my role would be many times just to sit there and wait patiently for him to drive the combine for sometimes minute, I mean hours, until he got that filled, and when it was filled, then he would flash his lights at me, and when he flashed, I'd always be watching, I'd always be listening and ready, and we'd flash those lights. I mean, I would come with the tractor and with the buggy, and I would pull up beside him as the combine was going through the field, I would pull up at the buggy, and I would catch the wheat as it was being unloaded. Now, I got a picture of it here, right here. This is kind of what I would do. I would be in that buggy pulling with the tractor in the combine, I'd pull up beside it. What was so key is that I had to be in the right place and I had to keep the right pace. Because if I went too fast, wheat would go out the back and we would lose harvest. If I went too slow, it would go off the front. My dad, I had to follow his pace and I had to be in the right place. Which brings me to the point of the presence of God and the patient. Patience is waiting in God's place and moving at his pace. And it is learning to obey the word of God and keep obeying the last word that you've been given until he gives you the next word to move forward. Somebody say amen to that. And I find that a lot of times in life, in our impatience, we're outrunning the blessings of God. Or in our impatience, we're not waiting and the blessings of God is moving forward while we're staying still. Church, we've got to learn to stay in pace with the blessings of God. And that comes through obedience. And Saul struggled with his obedience. Matter of fact, look at this. 1 Samuel 15 and verse 22. 1 Samuel 15 and 22, it says this. But Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offering and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice. Listen, obedience 
is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of what? Rams. You cannot disobey your way into God's promises. And for Saul, he didn't lose the anointing overnight. It was a process of disobedience. It wasn't just one time and God took away his anointing. No, it was day in, day out, him failing to obey the voice of God. And the Bible says, my spirit will not always strive with man. You can continue to disobey and feel like you're doing okay because you're still in the position. But if you continue to disobey, you're eventually gonna wake up and you're gonna realize that you're missing the blessings of God on your life. But it's the same way with obedience. Sometimes you can obey and you don't feel like the windows of heaven are open up. But let me tell you that you cannot obey God and he'll not, he'll, he'll not bless you. At some point, the blessings of God are going to open up for you. You just got to wake up every day and say, I'm going to obey God today. I'm going to obey God tomorrow. I'm going to obey God next week. I'm going to obey God when I don't feel like it. I'm going to obey God when I feel like it. I'm going to obey God when other people are saying something else. I'm just going to obey God. And when I obey God, God is going to show up for me in my life. It will happen. So, First off, he wanted to please people. Secondly, he was impatient with God's time. Number three is this, his enemies intimidated him and it led to heart problems. Now let's break these down. He had three enemies that I wanna dive into, okay? The first one is King Agag. It's found in chapter number 15. So the story is this, that King Agag is king of the Amalekites and God tells Samuel to tell Saul to kill off everything and not to save any of the animals, nothing. He's not to spare it all because of the evil that the Amalekites had been doing and what had been going on. And so he said, don't spare anything. But yet Saul goes in and he kills most everything, but he spares King Agag. And then he spares the best of the best of the sheep and the goats so that he could make a monument unto himself and create an altar to worship God. When the man of God shows up, he says, oh, no, 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 no. Here's the first enemy. It's not just King Agag. It's the enemy of complete surrender that Saul never fully gave into. Are you listening? You see, there's a lot of Christians that live their life in partial obedience, but let me hear me in this. Partial obedience is not obedience. And Saul struggled with that because he obeyed, but not all the way. Complete surrender is what God was wanting from Saul, and Saul never could completely surrender everything. Question for you, what in your life have you not completely surrendered to God? What relationship? What decision? Finances. Second enemy that he dealt with was the giant of Goliath. And what does this represent? Okay, here's the story. Okay, the Philistines are on the side of their mountain. Israelites are on their mountain. And in the valley, this giant of a man would come down every day and he would scream out obscenities against the nation of Israel and against their God. And he would challenge somebody to come fight against him. And he says, we're going to make this a man against man, not army against army. Let's just bring one man. And somebody fight me, and whoever wins, that's the winning team. 
Who should have been the one fighting the giant? Why? At this point, he was still young. He was at the prime of his life. At this point in his life, he is the tallest and the baddest man in all of Israel. It makes sense for him to be the one to go down and fight the baddest man of the Philistines. But no, you know what he does? He tries to buy everybody off. He says to everybody, hey, you know what? I'll give you great wealth if you go and kill this guy. In fact, I'll give you my daughter in marriage if you go kill this guy. And matter of fact, the best of the best, he says, hey, if somebody goes out and fights this man and kills him, they don't have to pay taxes ever again the rest of their life. That should cause somebody to go fight. But nobody takes up the offer. For 40 days, he's trying to buy people off. And you know what Saul is not doing? He's, he's not dealing with the enemy of personal responsibility. And every one of us have things that we must take responsibility for. Hear me on this. There's some things that may have happened in your past that you're still blaming on somebody else. And it may be very real. And it may be justifiable to some degree. But at some point, you gotta forgive them and you gotta move on and don't stay captive by the past that has happened to you. Do not let the devil hold you captive. Move forward in the name of Jesus Christ. So who did God raise up? A shepherd boy? A little kid, a teenager who shows up, who is the delivery boy that day delivering pizza to his brothers. And he hears what's going on and says, I'll go fight the guy. And everybody says, you can't go fight him. You're just a kid. And he says, oh, no, no, no. No, you don't know what I've been doing on the backside of the pasture. Because you see, in the secret place, he had been preparing himself with supernatural power from on high to prepare him for the giant that was going to be ahead of him that day. And he says, you don't know what I know because the same God who gave me the bear and the same God who gave me the lion is going to be the same God who's going to give me Goliath. Give him to me right now. This uncircumcised Philistine belongs to my Lord and my God. Personal responsibility. The third enemy he struggled with is this. He was intimidated by his friend David. which is really odd. God sent David to help him. Initially, eventually he took over the kingdom. Initially it was to help him. David would play the harp to soothe his spirits. David killed Goliath. David would win battles. But the Bible says that Saul was afraid of David. That doesn't make sense. A shepherd boy? You know what he was fearful of? He was fearful of losing the power that he had. Come on, church, don't walk in fear of losing what no man could take away. Don't be afraid of what God has given you. Because when God has given you it, no man can take that from you. You've got to walk in the confidence and the strength of knowing that God is in control of my life. He was fearful of losing out to David. You know what settled into him? Jealousy. And jealousy will eat you up and destroy you. It says he was jealous of David. It will rot out your insides. Jealousy. Number four is this. Number four. He continually justified and made excuses for his actions. Saul... His heart went bad 
because he continually justified and made excuses for his actions. There's a book written years ago by a guy named John Maxwell. Leadership guru, if you haven't read his stuff, read it. Most of you probably heard of it. Go read his stuff. You want to grow as a leader, gather everything you can, read it, devour it, great stuff. He wrote one book called Felling Forward, which really spoke to me. Because a lot of people tell of all their successes, this book was filled with failures. And it was a book really about how that you may fall down, but get up again. You may mess up, but learn from your mistakes and move forward. That you continue can have things that don't go your way, loss of job, whatever it is, and that yet how God can use that and do something great out of it. You know what you have with David and you have with King Saul, those two kings? Is that you have one individual who knew how to fell forward. And you have another individual who never learned how to fell forward. You see, because both of them were messed up individuals. And when I talked about the heart problems in America today and kind of what's growing, there's one thing that I didn't include in the list, which is on every single list, and that's the genetic code issue. It's that all of us can have something genetically that's been passed down to us that leads to heart problems. And the truth of the matter is, even if you have a great heart and you've been passed down something genetically that was good and pure, every single one of your hearts is eventually going to stop beating at some time. But let me take that from the physical heart to the spiritual heart. Every single one of our hearts have been tainted by sin, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. And you know what's so important? It's so important to learn how to repent. It's so important to learn how to fell forward. And you know what? Saul couldn't do that. He was always justifying his actions, blaming on somebody else. Oh, I saw my men. They were running like scared and I had to do something. Oh, you didn't come, Samuel, on time like you said you were going to come? Because if you had been here, I would have waited and that would have happened. And he was always pointing fingers at somebody else. And it was always quick to say it's somebody else's fault versus pointing back here and say, I got to deal with my own issues. See, the truth of the matter is, David was much more messed up than Saul. You don't hear preachers say that a lot. But it's true. No, when you look at it from our viewpoint, from the list of morality, what was Saul's issues? Oh, I mean, he offered sacrifices unto God that he shouldn't have offered. That doesn't seem too bad, does it? He, was, he was, didn't wait on God's timing. That doesn't sound too bad, was it? But look at David. David was having babies with women he shouldn't have been having babies with. The Bible made it very clear to him. He knew he wasn't supposed to take extra women. He wasn't supposed to do that. And then he goes, takes Bathsheba, and we call it adultery, but many people think it was probably rape. She was probably forced to come, and as she was forced, he rapes his own best friend's wife. Now, how do I know that? I don't know if his best friend, but I know this, that Uriah the Hittite was one of his mighty men. He is listed in the 30 mighty men of David. He had to have been close to David, yet when he rapes his wife, then he covers it up and tries to, and then when he wouldn't buy the plan, he would not fall for the plan. He goes ahead and sets up his own death. Come on, people. That's pretty nasty. That's pretty bad. But there's a difference between Saul and there's a difference between David because David was quick to repent. 
time and time again, when David fell, he fell forward as he would repent and call out to God and say, God, I'm sorry, created me a clean heart, oh God. I have sinned against you and you only have I sinned. And God, I need you to come and cleanse me and make me new. So the question for you is this, are you justifying? Are you making excuses? Or are you quick to repent and call out to God? At every location, I want you to hear me. There's individuals that need to stand because there is a struggle in your heart right now to please people. Maybe the struggle inside of you is impatience with God's timing. Maybe the struggle inside of you is your enemies intimidate you. Maybe there's jealousy there. Maybe no partial responsibility. Maybe there's things that haven't been surrendered to God. And you've got to say, God, I've got to give it to you. It starts with the little things. And then finally, stop making excuses. Stop justifying. I've been preaching the gospel now for 30 years plus. Think about that. Over 30 years, I've been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I'm two steps away, two decisions away from losing it all. Two decisions. First is in my head. When that seed is planted and I begin to think on it and begin to meditate on it, that's where it usually starts. And the second one is acting out that decision and I can lose it all. You can lose a whole lot. And you know what? It starts with a little seed inside of your heart. And that's why we got to cry out every day, God created me a clean heart, oh God. Renew a right spirit within me. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. I need you, God. There's some of you right now listening to me that you need to commit your life to Christ and follow him. You need to surrender fully to Jesus. And the Bible says you do that by confessing your sins and believing in your heart. And when you feel the tug of the Spirit, surrender. Give right now, right now, wherever you're at, whatever location. Second is this, you're listening to me. And God's wanting to keep, keep your heart pure. And there's little seeds there. There's little stuff there that need to be ripped out. There's stuff that needs to be dealt with. And I'm going to ask you to stand in just a moment. And just like Thursday night, just like the 8.30, just like it's happened in, in, in Guthrie and Deer Creek, there's going to be many people that's going to stand. But you don't stand because of somebody else. It's not about your image. It's about personal integrity and hearing God and responding to what God has for you. And you're saying, I do not want to let my heart go bad. I want to have a pure heart. I want to be like David, not like Saul. eyes closed and no one looking around Holy Spirit do your thing and Father I pray now that your Holy Spirit will convict speak to change lives if this message spoke to you with eyes closed no one looking around if this message spoke to you God's dealing with you right now there was a deep work that happened to you and you said I want to have a heart after David, and there's some things there that I've got to deal with. Maybe it's the please. Maybe it's impatience. Maybe it's intimidated by enemies. 
Maybe it's justifying, making excuses. God's speaking to you. I want you to jump to your feet right now. That's me. God's speaking to me. God's speaking to me. Holy Spirit's dealing with me. Holy Spirit's dealing with me. Come on, all over this place, all locations, begin to stand right there where you're at at Deer Creek. Begin to stand right there where you're at in Guthrie. Begin to stand at Freedom House. Now I want you that are standing. There's others that need to be standing. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't look around. Don't say, is anybody else standing? I'm going to stand. No, you stand because God's speaking to you. The Holy Spirit is dealing with you. Right where you are at all locations, begin to come to the front, all the way to the front. Come up toward me. Every single location, begin to move, begin to move. Don't block the aisles. Begin to come. Prayer team, begin to move up this way too. Begin to move with these. Now, every person at every location, I want you to hold your hands out and open right now. And I'm going to pray over you. And then when I'm done, your pastor is going to begin to pray over you. And I want you, as the worship begins to happen, begin to ask God to create in you a clean heart. Father, I pray right now for every location and every person that's responded. Spirit of God, do a new thing in their hearts. Do a new thing in their lives. People have come saying, I need you in spirit of living God. Transform people. Take out hearts of stone. Put new hearts of flesh. Do a deep, undeniable work in their lives. In Jesus' name be it done. Amen.